One, two, three. Great. It and that's how it it's is. done, folks. Oh, that's how it's done. It's funny because it's delayed in the vid- visual, but I think it works. I don't know how it works, but whatever. What's um, on your head? It's a great question. It's a robe. It's a robe tie. Let me show you. Okay, so look. Do you see my hair? Uh-huh. Y'all, we're still remote. Carrie's still testing positive. Hallelujah. This, okay, so it's a thick robe sash tie. Mm-hmm. And what I did is I curled my hair in it and I'm, I slept in it mm-hmm. and I'm still letting it dry towards the end of this episode. Here's how we're going to end the episode is I'm going to take my hair down and we're going to see a reveal. That's a little sexual for my taste, but it's a little okay. sexual. But Quinn and I no, have I'm an game. important, Quinn and I have an important meeting in an hour and a half. And so it's going to be perfect timing. I'm going to reveal and it's going to be great. It's we in just, an hour. You're making me nervous. It's in an hour. It's at 1130. It's at 11. Radical. I've been so anxious lately. I've not been feeling great emotionally. Oh my God, I've been really anxious too. Oh, good. I talked to my therapist about it. It was a whole thing. And I was, I have COVID and I'm stressed about, you know, birthday stuff. I'm also stressed that nobody's going to show up to my birthday and I'm going to be there alone and look lame. All these things are real stressors. And she's like, you're living in the future. She's like, this is all like, all of this will be resolved in two days. Like, You'll find out if you're still testing positive. You'll find out if you're not. But, like, you're living in the future. And I thought that was a really happy reminder. Also, I've been editing my trailer for my show in Orlando in the middle Mm -hmm. of May May, just a decent plug. And I want to send it to you and see what you think. Do you mind? No, send it. It's delivered. I'm going to watch it. That's so cute. It's cute, right? Do I? It's very cute. Am I a professional editor now? <laughs> yeah, I would hire you. <laughs> okay, done. You guys, dear readers, um, Carrie says I got to stop saying you guys. So I'm working on it. Um, I <laughs> told Carrie that I got addicted to this page on Wikipedia. As you guys know, I'm a huge Wikipedia supporter. fan. Huge supporter. And they have one that's just weird deaths. And I was reading them and they do it by like century (laughs) and i was reading them and just texting carrie weird death after weird death after weird death and then i realized it was maybe annoying and stopped but the one that i didn't get the chance to send you that i'd like to just read to you right now why aren't you doing this as a full episode like why aren't you doing this as a story of just weird deaths that's what i've done you should absolutely do the weirdest ones we should do because i think you want to sprinkle it in i love that i love that for you so i think here and there you know that's the intro song weird deaths weird deaths ready for this one yes a poodle named catchy 
in Cabolito, Buenos Aires, fell 13 floors and hit Marta Espina, who was 75, and both of them died instantly. When that happened, Edith Sala, who was 46, was walking by and looked at the this all happening because it's, it, you know, a poodle hitting an old woman and them both dying. And when she was distracted looking, she got hit by a bus and died. An unidentified man who witnessed all of this died of a heart attack <gasps> watching this go down. <laughs> I know it's not funny, but it is because it's so crazy. Like, can you believe that was a like I want to know the geological like like there was something happening like I'm sorry that is insane four living things died I think it's the movie um what's that movie with Tom Cruise and the frogs that come out of the sky um Mission Impossible <laughs> yeah it's, yeah it was Mission Impossible oh it's eyes wide shut it's eyes wide shut no 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 it's um. It's a Jerry Maguire. Yes. In Jerry Maguire at the beginning. With, no, it's, it's... It's show me the frogs. Show it's called like... Me, not Memento. It's like... um, I don't know. It's, it's a weird movie. At the beginning, they do a thing about coincidences. And there's a story about someone getting shot or falling out a window... No, this is what it is. Somebody falls out a window up high in a building. Okay. Or jumps out a window. Anyway. By the way, spoiler alert, everybody. Spoiler. They would have, they would survive the fall because there was an awning they didn't know about that they were going to fall onto and it was going to catch them and they weren't going to die. But while they're falling through the air, somebody shoots a gun out their window and it happens at somebody and it happens to hit the body as it falls past the window so they die but it's not because they jumped out a window or got pushed out a window or whatever happened it's because the bullet happens to hit them and it's just pure coincidence i don't think it's a real story by the way i think it's otherwise we cover it for sure that's an interesting story it's wildly interesting anyway this one though this poodle named catchy really reminded me of that just the the amount of like sort of coincidence of like everyone being around and witnessing this and like death, 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 and it domino affecting. That is wild. That's it's a really crazy story. And I can't like, I mean, one, the first death, I, my grandma, my, my mom died. She was hit by a poodle. My sister died. She was looking at this woman being killed by a poodle and then a bus hit her. My dad died. He had a heart attack after witnessing a poodle hit a woman and then a witness getting hit by a bus and then he had a heart attack. I mean, that is insane. I that is so tragic. And I'm sorry I laughed because that's those are four lives that are sorely missed. But whoa, I mean, the the level of ridiculous is really high on the ridiculometer. On the ridiculometer, it's quite. It's off the charts. It's off the charts, baby. By the way, we have some Patreon people we need to thank. Should we do that right now? Is that too fast? Did we? Oh fuck yeah! Did we jump? Fucking do it! I'm trying to think if there's anything else I need to say. 
we're not organized in a way where things are going to, you know, we could tell half of one of our stories right now, then thank them. We could, um, you know, we could thank them right at the top. We can do whatever we want. This is our show. Is it though? Or is it your show and I'm just featured on it? Thank you for understanding. I feel like you've really come around these last few episodes to realizing who you are and what you're made of. I'm and feeling who you really weak emotionally. So like anything that is if I mean, no, actually today I woke up. I slept well last night. I do feel better. Which, by the way, last night I made dinner and it was broccoli with cheese and a sweet potato with um, uh, sriracha Greek yogurt. Doesn't that kind of sound good? Yeah, it sounds like health food. Yeah. And I was full after I didn't anticipate I was going to be full after eating that. I Am made, I going to be you know, skinny never now? I believe what I made. I made lobster rolls last night for a very uninterested and critical Matt McCroskey, who was like, it's a little bit of shell in mine, was I think all he said. <laughs> okay, wait, like, sidebar. If I don't, if I don't, if I have, if I'm cured on Monday night on my actual birthday, I was talking to my therapist and I was feeling whatever. Can I come over? Can we make a fun meal on Monday night? Of course. Relax. Oh, thank of course. God. Okay, good. Okay. Well, we can invite the boys. Like, just, I need, I just don't want to be, and my therapist was like, because all my friends work, and I just, you know, it made me feel like I missed having a boyfriend, because, like, on your birthday, that's, like, the least, that's, like, the expectation, is, like, you're with your partner, and it's fine, mm-hmm. and so I was like, my friends have kids, like, <laughs> what do I do? I can't go out for, like, a fancy dinner. I don't know. I just Listen, felt we down. can't go out for a fancy dinner, but we can cook a really fancy dinner. And it'll be that. better because um, that's more fun. Totally. That's more festive. And you don't feel anxious about the bill. You know what you're getting into right from the start. Right from Jump Street. I love that. You go to okay. the store and you look at the prices and you know what you're up against. Okay, I love that. Let's do that. Okay, oh, well, you're my, 100% you're my we'll do that. Oh, thank God. And then my parents are getting a dog on my birthday, so they're going to be, like, busy traveling, which is exciting. It feels like they're getting a gift for them on my birthday, which is nice. It's good. I like it. I'm into it. Um, Yeah, that's fabulous. Yeah, I'm excited. Anyway, whatever. I want to tell you – can I tell you what I want to name this episode? Yeah, a thousand percent. I I was listening to a podcast about – do you ever listen to Reply All? Sometimes. No, no, well, no. I've listened to it. I don't listen. It's not on my saved. Well, and then there pods. was like this huge like scandal that had to do with race and one of them left the show. And oh, wow. it's very, yeah, it's a little bit dramatic. But um, I, all this is actually just to say that I listened to it and they did a show recently where they were talking about why, like different ways to hack so that you end up being played on Spotify like different tricks for instance like this some guy would like go in and make a playlist that was like top hits from frozen and it would be the top hits from frozen but then there would be like his uh techno song you know when i love that that's so, so smart so that like because i look for the name. playlists all the fucking time right so you just do the playlist but you end up weirdly like you're like let it go and then it's like house music suddenly (laughs) (laughs) don't shuffle (laughs) don't shuffle oh god Um, so here's what i want to name this episode which is a trick i learned from that episode i want to name this podcast episode alexa play a true crime podcast stop 
How good is that? People were naming their songs. Google Play Music would be like the name of a song. Oh my God. Genius. Are we, is this the episode we want to introduce them to? what you're worried about i love it you're like this is such a good idea and yet (laughs) is this the episode is this is this really going to sell them on truly darkly creeply part of me thinks we do next week's because this week i have a story that's like a little controversial um i think they're ready for it i mean they just asked alexa to play them a true crime podcast they're game for anything who says that anyway I don't think anyone actually says, Alexa, play a true crime podcast. I don't know. I don't know. I think they do. I hope the people are listening um, with earbuds I just feel in like and we're I'm wasting not screwing it on up this your day episode. here. We should take it and put it on a previous episode that we're really proud of that is a good gateway episode. I have so much doubt in my life. Wow. What's going on with you? You're really, um, you're like spiraling. You know what's going to make you feel better? Let's thank some patrons. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. Okay. Let's do that. Okay. How about Nicole? <laughs> Nicole, cut the bull. You know the deal. You are the real. Nicole, everyone else is just faking it. Barely making it. Cooking bacon (laughs) to have with eggs. Nicole, we love you, Nicole. (laughs) I didn't know where that was going. I loved everything. Here's the thing. Neither did I. I'm a rapper. I'm a rap (laughs) artist. (laughs) Grammys, watch out. We got an E got her. Hold on. (laughs) This isn't okay. That Nicole, I helped so little. I'm so sorry. You're welcome for Quinlan's. You know that Carrie's feeling. You know what? I'll let you do the next one because guess what? You'll be forgiven whatever you do because you know who the next one is. Jordine. Jordina, Jordina, we love you so much. You've got a kid named Frida and a husband named Bix and a dog named Alan. We love you, Jordan, and thank you for becoming a Patreon. And your addresses. (laughs) (laughs) And your your social security security number. Your greatest fear is clowns. <laughs> when you were little, one thing you that happened that made you embarrassed and traumatized. <laughs> We're just kidding. We just are giving so much info. Your mother's <laughs> maiden name. Name and name. <laughs> Jordan, did you like that? <laughs> she loved it. That's the truth. Bix, I bet, is like, oh, I don't know if they should have said that. That is, they could find us. Bix is going to be like, you've just been served. Soft <laughs> served, that is. And he's going to hand us an ice cream. For defamation. Leilani. 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 You're so funny. You're so funny and really bonny that's an old saying <laughs> we don't use it anymore but i think it means happy you make me happy again and before <laughs> we gotta stop let's get out of here <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> COVID. Got it. Got it. Holy shit, Quinn. Wow. You're in rare form today, baby. <laughs> I'm really trying to cheer you up. <laughs> it's all for you. You it's... think that was for Leilani? That was for you. <laughs> I still really like Jordan's song where we just listed facts about Jordan. (laughs) (laughs) She's five foot six, brown hair, brown eyes, olive complexion, tiny in size. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, it's so good. Oh, guys. Are you ready for some stories? Because we're, we're way, ready to tell you some stories. You're listening to Truly, Darkly, Creepily. That's Carrie Ipema. She's and, killing it, folks. And that's Quinlan Posner. She's my boss, amen? <laughs> <laughs> and we're here to bring you the latest, the greatest advertisements that podcasts have. Right, we do have that. And now a word from our sponsors. Hey, we're back. Or are we? Or are we talking from the past? Because we're super safe with Birdie. <laughs> Birdie, you guys, Birdie envisions a world where women can be safe, where they can uh, walk down the street and just uh, do their thing, not really worry about... Uh... Can I tell you something actually tell me. about Birdie? I was in Chicago with a friend and she had a really cute purple Birdie. They didn't have that color when I bought mine or mm-hmm. my mom bought me mine for Christmas. It was this really cute lavender Birdie. And I was like, oh my God, this is incredible. Where'd you get it? She goes, my sister gave it to me. She goes, she had a really scary experience. This guy was fucking following her from the train, her sister. And she kept walking and this guy was still fucking following her. And she went up to this guy who was in her neighborhood who was like putting trash out. And she went up to him and she was like, can I please stand by you? There's a man following me. He's like, yes, come this way. After that happened to her, she bought a birdie. And she bought one for her sister and she bought one for her whole family. That's so smart. Get a birdie for yourself. Get a birdie for your friend. Get a birdie for your daughter. And get a birdie for your son. I think like everybody can have a birdie. I carry mine on my bike so that if something happens, I just pull it. So smart. It sets off a strobe light. It has like a really loud noise. It's just going to, even if you never use it, which hopefully you are never going to use it, um, except at a weird sound rave or something but it, totally if, i hope you don't have to use it but you're gonna feel better if you have it so get one today and use the promo code tdc10 you get 10 percent off it's a no-brainer we love you stay safe and um bye birdie and, and we're back, we're back. Okay, so I got my information from Wikipedia, BBC, The Guardian, New York Times. I am going to tell you the story of Rachel Corey. Do you know the story I'm of ready. Rachel Corey? Of course not. So I actually, this story first popped up in my awareness in a yesteryear by none other than Alan Rickman. Alan Rickman curated and directed a play um, based on her life. Now, this story is controversial in that it deals with the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. So I just... Ooh, I can't believe you're touching it. All right, let's do this. Well, you know, it was a play based on it, and I think it's an interesting story. And um, listen, wartime is bad. Let's just say that wartime is awful. Nobody wants to do it. That is not a controversial opinion. I know I'm stressed about it. That's why I'm like, do Alexa, do we play (laughs) true crime podcasts? That's a little bit why I'm feeling this way. 
Um, Alexa, where do you stand on the Israel-Palestine <laughs> conflict? Uh, I have to go. I have to go. <laughs> Ask Siri. <laughs> Siri, I love that. Um, so I got this information from Wikipedia, BBC, The Guardian, and New York Times. So Rachel Corey is an activist and a diarist. Uh... <laughs> Sorry, Co has diarrhea, so I was like, he's a diarist, too. <laughs> I knew that. I don't know what a diarist is. Clearly. Someone who keeps a diary. Like, I think because her memories and the play, I mean, a spoiler alert, the play touches on her writings. Mm -hmm. Um, The play is a collection of her emails and writings to her mother that a journalist in Alan Rickman curated and adapted into a one-person show that's performed all over the world. A little bit about Rachel Corey. Rachel Corey was born in Olympia, Washington um, in 1979. She's a very normal, typical family background, you know, middle-class, mother-father situation. She took a year off of school to volunteer for the Washington State Conservation Corps, But while at school, she became a committed peace activist. She participated in events arranged by Olympians for Peace and Solidarity, which is an organization that supports the ISM, which is the International Solidarity Movement, which is an organization that protests the policies of the Israeli army in the West Bank and Gaza Strip. While she's also done things like she spent three years making weekly visits to patients in mental hospitals, she's someone who was really involved and it feels like based on what I read about her that she was an incredibly kind and empathetic person and was constantly seeking how to improve the lives of people around her and across the world. During her senior year, Rachel pitches an independent study program to her college where she would travel to Gaza, join the ISM team, and start a sister city program between Olympia and Rafah, which is a Palestinian city in Gaza. Since the U.S. supports the Israeli army, there is a lot of Israeli allegiance. Is that what I want to say? There is a lot of pro-Israeli conversation happening in the United States, I think, to take the side. And I think recently... The Palestinian side has been getting a lot of attention because of Palestinian, um, because of, so, I think, of, I think not recently, but I think the, the conversation in the media is less pro-Israel Israel, and more of a conversation between the conflict of really what's happening on the Gaza Strip and the West Bank. I guess what I'm trying to say is I think, you know, growing up, I think, the media and a lot of our government, because we support the Israeli army, has taken a lot of pro-Israel sentiment. Um, and I think in, I think the media has covered more of a conversation about the conflict and how it's affecting people. Um, I, I'm not going to say I know everything that's going on. I'm not going to say I know what the solution is, because obviously I don't. It would be so crazy, Carrie, if you were like, here's the thing. I know the solution. I know what's going to do. No, it's, listen, it's a really, I know it's like a hard thing to touch on because it's really, it's a traumatic thing. There are lives being lost. I know people who live in Israel. I I know families are affected. Like, it's just, it's a hard thing to touch on, but I do want to tell the life of Rachel Corey and what happened to her. And so I do want to talk about this situation with her as the focus. Great. So 
During her senior year, like I said, she pitches an independent study program that would have her travel to Gaza and join the ISM team and start a sister city program between Olympia and Rafah, which is a Palestinian city in Gaza. She also wanted to set up a pen pal program between the kids in Olympia and the children in Rafah, which I actually Mm -hmm. think is really beautiful and such a gorgeous sentiment of someone who does want to bring peace and 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 wants to connect people um, for people and not about the conflict, have like interpersonal connections. While she was in Gaza, she kept a diary and recorded her days. So I just want to read a couple things of what she said to her mother. <clears throat> no amount of reading, attendance at conferences, documentary viewing, and word of mouth could have prepared me for the reality of the situation here. You just cannot imagine it unless you see it, she wrote in one of her emails to her family and friends in Olympia. Three weeks later, she tells her mother in an email, I'm witnessing, I'm witnessing this chronic insidious genocide and I'm really scared and questioning my fundamental belief in the goodness of human nature. This has to stop. I think it's a good idea for all of us to drop everything and devote our lives to making it stop. Disbelief and horror is what I feel. While she is over there, there is this thing that's happening in Rafa, which is demolitions. This is a tactic along the security road near Israel and the Egypt near the Israel and Egypt border at Raja to uncover explosive devices and destroy tunnels that help move arms and things between Egypt and Gaza. What actually happens is there are bulldozers who destroy family homes with the conversation of trying to destroy explosive devices and destroy tunnels. But what's happening is it's what I said, it's destroying people's homes. The human rights groups talk about this military tactic and call it a collective punishment. Israel says that it's necessary to demolish the homes because Palestinian gunmen use the homes as cover to shoot at Israeli troops and there's also and they also conceal tunnels that moves arms. So Rachel is in a group of about eight who are trying to prevent this exact thing happening by using their bodies as human shields. Mm-hmm. When she first gets there, she and two other members of the ISM use on their first night that she gets there, she sets up camp between the Palestinian and Israeli snipers in watchtowers. So she places herself in the middle of this gunfight or of this like this war. I mean, she places herself right in the middle in the line of fire mm-hmm. and she puts up signs that says internationals, which is something she calls herself because the ISM, all these people that have come are from the U S from England, from all over the world, trying to help this situation. And by labeling themselves as internationals, Israel's not going to shoot them and Palestine doesn't want to shoot them. They become like a shield to the fight is what their intentions are because no one's going to hurt them because Mm -hmm. they're members of another country. So she's trying to stop the firing, but the Israeli troops fire warning shots near their camp, near their tent. So they pack up their tent and leave knowing that this is not going to work. A Palestinian interpreter is working with them and said that the, de- demo- the demolitions were happening all over. The activists are focusing their energy on stopping those because they didn't really have time for anything else. So on her first night, she gets there, does this really risky thing of standing in the line of fire. And then she and her um, 
and the group that she's with sort of turned their focus on stopping to prevent the demolitions. Now, these are family homes. People live in them. And the Israeli army is coming in and bulldozing them. And so she wants to stand up for these families. The Palestinian interpreter says that these activists were very brave, but also crazy. They were constantly putting their safety on the line to stop these demolitions. What they would do is when these massive armored bulldozers would come, they would stand in their way. They would use their human bodies as shields Mm -hmm. to stop these bulldozers from bulldozing these houses. A British member of this group was wounded by shrapnel while retracing the body of a Palestinian man killed by a sniper. I mean, and again, like people got hurt doing this. It is a very risky thing to do. A British man was taking a body that was uh, taking the body of a Palestinian man that was killed uh, by a sniper and he was hit by shrapnel. An Irish participant of the ISM was almost killed by an armored bulldozer. Palestinian militants were concerned about these international activists because they would get caught in the crossfires. They were also worried that they were spies. You know, they weren't necessarily accepted by the Palestinian side because there was worry that they were getting information and getting it back to their to Israel. So Rachel learned some Arabic and participated in a mock trial speaking out against the Bush administration and the crimes to prove that she was on their side. She also spent a lot of time at the at the Canada Well, which um, was a well in Rafa that supplied a lot of water to the community, but was constantly damaged by bulldozers. She was wounded protecting a municipal worker who was working on the well. So obviously this well gave a lot of water to this city. And so she used her body to help a municipal worker who would be attacked for working on this well just because they're trying to, it's war and they're trying to, you know, dwindle their resources. Her and her team were there because Israeli snipers were shooting at civilian workers trying to repair the wells. She wrote in her diary that their group received permission from the Israel Israeli district command officer and carried signs and a megaphone, but they were fired upon several times in the period of one hour. A bullet came within two meters of the municipal worker at the well, um, and the internationalists uh, were all hit by debris. While there in 2003, Rachel took part in a. And while there in 2003, Rachel also took part in the demonstration of the invasion of Iraq. There is a photo of her burning a makeshift U.S. flag, and in the words of her parents, I'm going to read this. Um, the act, while we may disagree with it, must be put into context. Rachel was partaking in a demonstration in Gaza opposing the war in Iraq. She was working with children who drew two pictures, one of the American flag and one of the Israeli flag, for burning. Rachel said that she could not bring herself to burn the picture of the Israeli flag with a Star of David on it, but under such circumstances, in protest over a drive towards war and her government's foreign policy that was responsible for much of the devastation that she was witness to in Gaza, she felt it okay to burn a picture of her own flag. So she's someone, I mean, I think, I hope I give a clear picture of who she was. It's March 16th, 2003. The Israeli army is doing more demolitions of Palestinian homes. Rachel is in a group of three um, British and four American ISM activists. She 
she puts herself in front of the home of Samir Nasrallah, who's a local pharmacist, whose home she has stayed in, who is about to be demolished. She stands in the path of a Caterpillar D9R armored bulldozer. She is run over by the bulldozer. Wow. What a terrible way to die. She is taken to the Palestinian hospital. She is alive at 5.05, but at 5.20, she is declared dead. Brutal. Brutal way to go. Bulldozed? Yeah. And as I'm going to go into is the reports are conflicting about what mm-hmm. happened. Um. Obviously, there are, I mean, I, do I want to jump ahead of my notes? Sure. There are, there are various eyewitness accounts. There are also these bulldozers, right? These bulldozers are armored bulldozers. So the actual viewer, viewfinder is so small, you can't always see what's in front of you. So her fellow activists say that the soldier operating this armored bulldozer deliberately ran her over. A witness on the Israeli side said it was an accident as they didn't see over their vehicles because they obstructed their view. The Israeli side also claims that she was not defending the house from being demolished, but was stopping a military operation to find weapons and smuggling tunnels. As I said earlier, that was their justification of it. And, you know, I mean, obviously, there's are those are two two sides of that story of the same coin. Mm-hmm. Another point of dispute is whether her injuries were caused, in fact, by the bulldozer and their blade or by the debris the bulldozer was pushing, which would affect what caused her death. Mm-hmm. An Israeli spokesperson said that under the regulations, they normally require another person to direct the bulldozer because of the bulldozer's blind spots. The internet, the ISM accounts claim that they began to demolish one house when the activists surrounded that bulldozer. They backed off. They knew who they were, so they couldn't shoot. There were eight activists and about 70 square meters. Then the bulldozer S-turned towards another house, and Rachel was standing in the way. I know. I'm sorry. I know this is a tough story to tell, but... um, All right. I'm just doing doing a great job. Okay, thanks. I'm doing a direct quote from some of the articles that I read. Still wearing her fluorescent jacket, she knelt down at least 15 meters in front of the bulldozer and began waving her arms and shouting just as activists had successfully done dozens of times that day. When it got so close that it was moving the earth beneath her, she climbed onto the pile of rubble being pushed by the bulldozer. Her head and upper torso were above the bulldozer's blade, and the bulldozer operator and co-operator could clearly see her. Despite this, the operator continued forward, which caused her to fall back out of view of the driver. He continued forward, and she tried to scoop back what was quickly pulled underneath the bulldozer, We ran towards him and waved our arms and shouted, one activist with the megaphone, but the bulldozer operator continued forward until Corey was all the way underneath the central section of the bulldozer. There's no way he didn't see her, since she was practically looking into the cabin. At one stage, he turned around toward the building. The bulldozer kept moving, and she slipped and fell off the plow. But the bulldozer kept moving, the shovel above her, I guess it was about 10 or 15 meters, that it dragged her and for some reason didn't stop. We shouted like crazy to the operator through loudspeakers and he should stop, that he should stop. 
but he just kept going and didn't lift the shovel. When it stopped and backed up, we ran to Rachel. She was still breathing. Another member said, Whatever one thinks about the visibility from the D9 bulldozer, it is inconceivable that at some point the driver did not see her, given the distance from which he approached, while she stood unmoving in front of it. As I told the court, just before she was crushed, Rachel briefly stood on top of the roiling, the rolling mound of earth that which had gathered in front of the bulldozer. Her head was above the level of the blade and just a few meters from the driver. It was either a really gross mistake or a really brutal murder. And you think it was a murder for sure? I don't know. Okay. I don't know. What I know is it's horribly tragic and she was doing what she felt right. The Israeli soldier that was driving it was never identified. This will go to trial where her family sues them for a symbolic dollar um, and they go to trial but the driver is unidentified even in, in the trial will be or just to the public to the public and at the trial like the family doesn't know who he is what we do know about the driver we do know that it was a 38 year old Russian immigrant who arrived in Israel at 23 years old okay well, that really narrows it down. It really narrows it down. Um, <laughs> obviously, in her death, she is a U.S. citizen. The U.S. government gets very involved in this and is trying to find answers. Her family mm-hmm. is petitioning our government as well as the Israeli government for any answers and in an investigation into what happened in her death. They gave a report called The Death of Rachel Corey to members of Congress in April 2003. Rachel's family released it to the media in June 2003. In 2004, the family said the entire port wasn't released and that only them and two other American staffers um, at the U.S. Embassy were able to view it. Mm -hmm. So in this type of thing, I think because it's a high government thing, there's a lot of information that's probably redacted and they don't want to share. But this family is suffering the loss of their daughter in a mm-hmm. horribly violent way. And there's not many answers. The ISM, the group that she was working for, rejects the Israeli report saying it contradicted eyewitness reports and it's not credible or transparent. Right. In 2011, this is the symbolic, the trial that was brought by her parents. Um, the judge in the Corey case asserted that between September 2000 and the date of Corey's death, Israeli forces in the area had been subjected to 1,400 attacks involving gunfire, 150 involving explosive devices, 200 involving anti-tank rockets, and 6,000 involving hand grenades or mortar fire. So, the like I said, the driver is protected and is only seen by a judge and the attorneys with the initials YB, and he has a and there's a gag order on revealing his details. So even her family's never seen him; they don't know who he is. The doctor who treated Rachel was denied in Palestine because she went to a Palestinian hospital. The doctor that treated Rachel was denied visa entry into Israel, and they refused to have him appear via a video link. So in detailing her death, 
were not even able to get a report on the doctor that treated her on how she died, right? Like a big question is, did she die from the debris or from the bulldozer blade? Which frankly, it's like all of it was caused by the bulldozer. So I don't... But I guess in their trial, they're saying like, what's culpability like in that way? Was she in the way of debris or was she hit by the bulldozer? And the doctor treated who treated her isn't even allowed to testify into the injuries that she sustained. The prime minister of Israel promises President Bush that there will be a thorough and credible and transparent investigation. We know that the IS, that, that people disagree with their transparency. The autopsy report was never released publicly, but it did state her death was caused by pressure of the chest, uh, fractures of the ribs and vertebrae and tears in the right lug and hemorrhaging of the pleural cavities. So they claim she's struck by a hard object, like a slab of concrete and not run over. The verdict of this case, the symbolic case that's brought to trial for a dollar, the court rules against her family, absolving the IDF of any wrongdoing, that it was not Mm. murder. The IDF did not accept responsibility for her death, but they intended to change their procedures to avoid anything like this in the future, like adding cameras to the bulldozer blind spots. (sighs) Rafa's hospital, where she was at when she died, 240 Palestinians, including 78 children, have been killed since 2001. The UN said that 582 homes have been demolished and 721 homes have been damaged, and that 5,305 people are homeless. On the night of Rachel's death, nine Palestinians were killed in the Gaza Strip, including a four-year-old and a 90-year-old. The outcry of support from the Palestinian government in light of Rachel's death was loud and clear. There were memorials held for her in Gaza after her death, in which Palestinian and uh, children and adults honored her. They carried a coffin, a mock coffin draped with the American flag. The children and adults of Palestine did. Her parents said, we have been told that our flag has never been treated so respectfully in Gaza in recent years. We believe Rachel brought a different face to the United States, to the Palestinian people, a face of compassion. It is this image of Rachel with the American flag that we hope will be remembered most. In Ramallah, in the West Bank, there is a street dedicated to Rachel Corey. In Tehran, there is also a street there named after Corey. In 2006, the house she was protecting was rebuilt by the Rebuilding Alliance. In 2008, Norton published a book called Let Me Stand Alone, which includes the writing, her writings and her emails. My Name is Rachel Corey is the play composed of her journal entries and emails to her mother and family and friends. They were compiled by Alan Rickman and a journalist, Catherine Viner. It was also directed by Alan Rickman. It played off-Broadway at the Edinburgh Fringe and was performed in 10 other countries, including Israel. In 2012, the U.S. ambassador said that the Israeli investigation was not satisfactory. Her parents have taken over for Rachel and spend their time and energy into promoting peace and raising awareness about the plight of the Palestinians and continue um, what they believe to be her work. They set up the Rachel Corey Foundation for Peace and Justice. The family, the Nasrallahs, that lived at the home that Rachel Corey was protecting from destruction, 
They toured with the Corys across the U.S. in June 2005. The aim was, was to raise funds to help them rebuild the home and other homes destroyed in Rafa. On the 12th anniversary of her death, a symbolic gravestone with her name was installed in a Tehran cemetery to honor her by the way of commemoration of martyrs of movement of the Islamic world staff. Near her symbolic gravestone are 12 other symbolic gravestones. That is the story of Rachel Corey, uh, a woman with a lot of heart who was doing what she believed in and was killed in doing so. So sad. And I, I didn't know much about it. And I, but you I love knew, Alan Rickman. And I love Alan Rickman. And he talked about it. I met Alan Rickman at a summer. You did? I did. He was awesome. I actually, he he talked about, someone was like, how does it feel to play the villain, villains? Like, constantly play the bad characters. And he was like, you clearly don't know all my work. <laughs> he kind of, like, read them a little. <laughs> um, but I think he, we were a theater. It was, you know, midsummer in Oxford, a theater program, the Shakespeare theater program. Summer was mm-hmm. Bada. And he talked about producing. I think it was pretty recently he had done My Name is Rachel Corey. Mm-hmm. I was amazed that it's performed all over the world, including in Israel, which I think oh, is wow. really fascinating. So I know it's a delicate situation, but I did want to talk about her. Good for you. Thanks. You did it like a rock star. Thanks. Great work. Thanks. Um, and now a word from our sponsors. We're back with another ad for a witch and a woodsman, Harley and John. We cannot tell you enough times to go to a witch and a woodsman and get yourself some rad stuff. Carrie and I got a care package from them that was absolutely bananas. And it made, dare I say, our lifetime because there were some life altering things included in that care package. What was your favorite thing? I think my favorite thing is the spell kit because in it, it is self-love and creativity and all of that. I'm manifesting. I want it. I'm getting it because I have this spell kit. Did you use the candle yet? I used the candle in the bath. Um, Not in the bath. Uh, I was very safe about it, folks. I used it wisely and it is a prosperity candle. And I can tell you. Listen, we're on the cusp of some prosperity and I have to credit the candle. I love my pen. It's a wooden pen and it's handmade. It's beautiful. And when I write with it, I feel like a damn queen. If you are thinking of getting somebody a really cool personalized gift, this is the place to go because she's going to work with you to find the perfect gift for your friend or treat yourself for yourself. And you're going to end up with something completely unique, completely beautiful, and completely awesome. Till the end of the month, April 2022, spell jars, candles, and oils. There's buy one, get one free. And to get those, you use the code EASTERBOGO. And also, there is 20% off of woodworking products. And for that, you use the code EASTER20. Happy Easter. Happy spells. Um, go to a witch and a woodsman, LLC.com today. And we're back. We're back. I'm going to tell the story of Patricia Stallings. This is, uh, I got my information from People. It was a great article by Paula Chin. Uh, some forensic files. You got to fucking love. There was a, a chapter three I read from Genetic Twists of Fate. 
and also unsolvedmysteries.fandom. Build hey. in a mystery. Paul <laughs> And choose insights. You better choose them really carefully because this story gets confusing. You won't know whose side you're on. All right. Patricia Stallings had a tough life. So she had spent several years, as they say, on the skids. She was homeless. It was hard for her to take care of herself. She had a son uh, that was, she, she wasn't married and she had a son. What do you call that? Born um, out of wedlock? A bastard. <laughs> <I'm just kidding. laughs> a bastard. What is this? <laughs> this is really olden days episode. Well, you know. I am rewatching on my background. I am rewatching Downton Abbey. Kura Crowley. I'm not watching <laughs> yeah. Lupin because it needs subtitles and I do it while I'm working. So I just need right. something in the background that I know. And I do. Copy that. Listen, I do like Downton Abbey. It's, oh, I, I'm done. So I got no more to watch. Well, I'm rewatching. I haven't done the movie. I don't know if I've done the movie either. It's just rich people Maybe problems. We'll watch which it you on know your birthday is fun. Yeah, <laughs> rich people. It's great. It's rich wonderful. Rich people problems are fun. Wonderful. Yeah. Don't forget about downstairs. Don't forget about the drama downstairs. You mean Mr. Betts. Yes, Mr. Betts. Mr. Betts. <laughs> She's so cute. Which sounds alarmingly like you know what, Mr. Betts. Right. <laughs> Here's the thing, I. The thing is, is she's so pretty. I'm kind of like she's so wonderful. How oh, did yeah. she fall for him? I mean, stop. Do you he's love so Mr. noble? He is so noble, but it does but feel just, like a father. But yeah, like there's the scene they just spoiler alert they get married and they're in bed together, and I'm like, she can do better. You're like, I don't believe you. No, well, so they don't meet that many people. I think it's very believable. They're down in that fucking basement all day. <laughs> Who's she gonna meet? Thomas. He's gay. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Spoiler alert again. No, I think that's spoiled episode one. Listen, let's get away. Let's get back to the story. Oh, right. Of Patricia so she has Can a, we? a child out of wedlock. Well, here's what happens. She's not great at taking care of him. I'm not sure, but there were some allegations of abuse. Um, and she's homeless. Like I said, it's not a great time to be a mom for her. And she ends up giving this child up for adoption. But then she starts to really turn her life around. Part of that is that she meets David Stallings in 1988. It's so funny. I said Patricia Stallings had a tough life. I don't know her maiden name, but I promise it wasn't <laughs> Stallings before she met David Stallings. Um, but I don't she know what it was. She had a tough family life. So she decided to marry into it further. So she married <laughs> She married her brother. No. Guys, focus. She met David Stallings, who was a plate engraver, and she was working at a 7-Eleven. They meet each other. They get married. They move into, like, a little house together on a subdivision by Lake Wawanoka. It's by St. Louis. Mm. Then she gives birth to a baby boy in 89, and they name him Ryan. She says, after giving birth to Ryan and living by this lake, it was, like, the best time of her life. But baby Ryan's pretty sick. He's having trouble holding down formula and he's barfing, not all the time, but like some of the time. A lot. Yeah, I think she's just like, oh, this baby pukes a lot. And there's a vibe of 
you don't know if that's a thing or not. And if you tell a doctor your baby's puking a lot, a lot of time they will be like, it's a baby. It's going to puke. And has acid reflux. He's got like a good baby vibe. He's not like colicky or anything. So He's she's got a not... good baby vibe. <laughs> Listen, some babies have bad baby vibe where you're like, get me out of this room. This baby has a bad baby vibe. Name a baby who has a bad baby vibe. We can cut I it. I would never. I had a bad baby vibe as a baby. You did? Yes, I was a terrible baby. Were you really? If I had me. You wouldn't have I any more kids. And your mom was like, done. we got three more in. Let's go. Ugh, I don't know how she had him after me. Although I My do think is, she was like, only, wait, oh, the only not person, all babies suck. Wait, the only person who would know this is your mom and dad. So they've told you this. This is like a part of your origin story is that you had bad baby vibes. I don't yeah. love that. <laughs> Accurate. <laughs> Larry, Raydell, what the hell are you doing? Stop telling your kid she had bad. She doesn't need to know that. I don't think Larry knew. He was at work. So it's but... only Raydell that's telling you. <laughs> well, only Raydell had to hang out with me. And she was like, you suck. Do you think that's like, how she added kids to the brood? She was like, ugh, I need someone else to just like, I need ugh. someone else here to talk shit about Quinn with. <laughs> <laughs> Brianna seems perfect. Got him. <laughs> I have the perfect idea. Brianna. And Brianna was born. <laughs> All right, so Ryan, cool baby, three months old, throws up his dinner, and the next day keeps throwing up, can't keep food down. Patty says that she went into his room and he was just lying in his crib. And that, like, like I told you, he had had like a good disposition. So he's barfing, but he's like smiling. She goes in his room and he's lying in his crib, and something is off like he's just looking at the ceiling he if like not lifeless but like out of it in a alarming way and breathing weird so she grabs ryan and is like we gotta go to the children's hospital which is in st louis she gets in the car and she's panicking because her kid's sick and she gets off the freeway on the wrong exit as a result, she's like, oh, there's a hospital here. It's the Cardinal Glennon Children's Hospital. Not as big or good a hospital as the one I was going to, but it's a fucking hospital and my kid's sick. Let's do this thing. They put Ryan on a respirator and he's there three days and they're testing this baby going, what's wrong with your baby? Patricia and David, the parents, super worried. But then they know that the temperature of this whole thing is totally shifting when they get visited by the police and the police are like, Hey, we've got some questions for you because it turns out that all those tests they're running on Ryan, one of them shows that he has ethylene glycol in his blood, which is alcohol. It's an active and here's what it is. It's an active ingredient in antifreeze. Oh, God. So they're like, we don't know what's going on with your baby, but we don't like what we're seeing. We want to bring you in for questioning. And while they're questioning them, they're saying things like, so Patricia, is it really hard to have a baby? Do you feel jealous of your baby sometimes? Does your baby get a lot of attention from David? Is that hard for you? They give her a lie detector test and they're like, ooh, we don't know about these results. We think you didn't really pass. David is there and he's like, obviously, I love my wife and know that she would never hurt my baby. And I'm in the room being like, 
but did she? Because it's because so they're weird. doing yeah, because they're doing that. Yeah, he knows he didn't do anything. They keep Ryan in the hospital two more weeks, and then they are like, "We don't want to release this baby to David and Patricia. We want to put the baby in a foster home." So the baby goes to a foster home while they're sort of like under investigation. They only have visitation for like an hour a week and their no. new baby. Three mm-hmm. months old. So like a social worker has to be there when they visit and they're not allowed to bring him things. On August 31st, they go to have a visit and Patty gets left alone with Ryan really, really briefly and is giving him a bottle. The bottle of formula was not even prepared by her. Like, it's she's not allowed to do that. But because they think it's like Munchausen's by proxy. Right. So the foster mom makes the bottle, gives it to Patty. Patty's giving the bottle to Ryan. And he's alone for like a second with her. Not long. But four days later, he gets hospitalized again at Cardinal Glennon. And he's in critical condition. They again find ethylene glycol not just um in his blood but in the bottle that patty had used to feed him they find traces of it would it show up would he get sick for he's a little baby would he get sick four days later though i don't know how this like, stuff works his so i'm not gonna try so to pretend little, it, yeah i know but like i feel like if you poison a little kid it's like their body metabolizes sick right away so quickly but well, i don't course, know this science what happens though is when this takes place they go to patricia and david's house and they find a bottle of antifreeze and they're like boop you're fucked you have you're a car arrested too. they're like you are arrested you poisoned this baby her kid's now five months old ryan he's in the hospital she's in jail she's not allowed to see him david's with him at the hospital he's you know got all these tubes in him it's traumatic it's horrifying on september 7th after he's baptized and given last rites he dies in david's arms patty is charged with first degree murder the prosecutor's like we're seeking the death penalty so she's in jail for three months and david's out on his own trying to get money to get her an attorney for this upcoming trial. They're both totally grieving the loss of their son, Ryan. And Patty's like, I feel like I have not had a period since I've been in jail. She's four months pregnant. She gives birth in 1990 to David Jr., who they call DJ. DJ is immediately, after being born, put into foster care, obviously. They're not allowed to see him. She's in jail, but David's not allowed to see him either. He's been charged with no crime, by the way. No criminal record, but he's not allowed to see DJ. Yeah. Several weeks after DJ is born, Patricia learns from a social worker that DJ had been rushed to the hospital because he was vomiting and breathing funny. They took him to the bigger hospital that she had intended to go to from day one, St. Louis Children's Hospital. He gets diagnosed with methylmalonic aciduria, 
I don't know if I'm saying it right. I would guess I'm not, but we're going to call it MMA. It's a rare hereditary disease. And if you have MMA, it's really hard for you to break down milk and other foods um, because there's a missing protein. And it causes the- it causes that so chemical mm-hmm. oh that offshoot into your oh my god so they're not these babies are not able to metabolize the milk they're being fed and the toxic byproducts from it are accumulating in their blood the good news is all you have to do is change the diet so dj will be fine dj will survive meanwhile we now go to trial and patty's friends and family are showing up to trial wearing t-shirts that say, please help us, Patricia Stallings is innocent. Now, it has been established at this point that DJ has MMA. So because it's hereditary, there's a great chance Brian had MMA. (sighs) The experts are like going to trial saying, no, it's impossible. And they're saying that the levels of ethylene glycol in Ryan's blood were too high. Maybe he had MMA, but he definitely also had antifreeze poisoning. We're sure of it. The Stallings attorney is garbage, does not bring any, uh, does not bring in any experts to sort of challenge this and to talk about the lab results. So because of that, the jury is hearing a story that these lab results are the truth. The truest tale. Like, this is what happened, antifreeze, and no one's getting up there and saying, no, it's not. So in trial, they're like, look, this was found in Ryan's blood twice. Two different diagnostic laboratories found it using two different methods of analysis. Those labs are unimpeachable. They found traces of antifreeze in this bottle that Patty used to feed Ryan his last meal pretty much before he got sick. And then we found that jug of antifreeze in their home. This is clean. And there's also crystals of calcium oxalate found by the autopsy in his brain, which is another really clear sign of this kind of poisoning. It's a three-day trial in 1991. They do not introduce in court the similarities between Ryan and DJ's illnesses. The, The lawyer does not get any medical witnesses. By the way, it will later be ruled that she had inadequate counsel, obviously, because they just do the most garbage job you can imagine. And the police are going in and saying, like, those shitty things about, like, we, I mean, when we watched her and he died, she didn't seem that sad. Like, they're being horrible. The uh, prosecutor says to the jury, don't try to understand why Patricia Stallings poisoned her child by feeding him from a baby bottle laced with antifreeze. The point is, she did. Only she could have done it. And they just deliberate a couple hours and they're like, she's totally guilty. They sentence her to life in prison without the possibility of parole. Meanwhile, David's still out there working his ass off to get his wife off. He gets on the TV show Unsolved Mysteries and he's like, you guys got to check this shit out. And they run an episode on it in May of 1991. A doctor is watching it. Dr. William Sly, and he is pretty sly. He's not even just a doctor. He's this totally rad pediatrician who specializes in genetics. So he goes to one of his colleagues, Dr. James Shoemaker, who ran a metabolic testing lab in St. Louis. And he gets 
somehow this guy gets a little bit of Ryan's blood from one of the labs that had helped convict her. And he's like, hey, Shoemaker, run this. And they run it. And they're like, this is so weird. There's not enough to poison a child of ethylene glycol in it. But the other thing is there's a large amount of propionic acid, which is a chemical super similar to ethylene glycol. And it's one of those toxic metabolites that would have accumulated in the blood if you had MMA and you're not breaking things down properly, but they're misidentifying it as antifreeze. And so they do all their own tests and they send a letter to the prosecutor and they're like, hey, we're really confident that this little baby died because of MMA, not because of ethylene glycol poisoning. And the prosecutor's like, okay, I'm listening. What about the bottle? Because remember, we found it in the bottle. Right. And then we found like antifreeze in their house. Like, what do you think about that? And what about the calcium oxalate in his brain? And he's like, I think I want to hire my own guy. Like the prosecutor's listening to them. McElroy is his name. And he's totally listening. And he's like, I just do want to hire another expert in metabolic diseases that's not associated at all with the case. Enter Dr. Piero Ronaldo, a geneticist. He agrees with these other doctors. And he says, well, the bottle was washed in a dishwasher. It was filled with infant formula before testing. And the compound that they identified as ethylene glycol could have been anything. As for the crystals of calcium oxalate in Ryan's brain, I think they were because of an ethanol drip that was used to treat his poisoning. And in fact... It was probably something that made his death come faster, that they did that. And this doctor says, I was astonished. I couldn't believe that somebody would let this go through a criminal trial unchallenged. Technically speaking, I've never seen such lousy work. Patricia gets some new fucking attorneys Robert Ritter is one of them, and they petition the court to grant her another trial, and they're like, she got shitty counsel, and there's all this new evidence. So two years later, after she's had to fucking be in jail for a little over a year, never fucking hung out with her new baby DJ, McElroy, the prosecutor, does something pretty cool for you know we'd see a lot of these dudes and their toxic masculinity and they can't fucking let go of things or admit when they're wrong he goes to this circuit county judge and he's like you need to dismiss this murder charge we can't undo the suffering the stallings have endured during this ordeal and i apologize and i hope their lives will be happier and fuller in the future because we don't see that we don't see that when people are like i fucked up i was wrong i didn't have all the information i mean he was proving his case And he wasn't listened when people came to him with other stuff. He listened. He looked into it. And then he publicly was like, I was wrong. Wow. They the Stallings received out of court settlements for Ryan's wrongful death, because obviously this hospital might have hastened his death, not helped to prevent it. In total, they were awarded several million dollars and they actually did later divorce. It's never Um, it's not. Yeah. I mean, I think it took its toll. Patty says, I have never really been angry. I am more damaged. We're moving cautiously forward. We don't want to make plans. Life is too short. 
Oh, that's so sad. DJ's condition means that a cold could be life-threatening to him, and she has to feed him when he's a baby by pouring, like, formula into a tube that goes into his stomach. But after figuring out that it's MMA, he's healthy. They go home together, and it's, hmm... It's so hard to mourn his condition that DJ Mm -hmm. has this condition because the fact that he was born with this condition is what saved her life. And what's crazy is there was only a one in four chance that he would inherit this. And if he hadn't, they never would have gone back and looked at Ryan. If he'd been born healthy, they, they, they wouldn't have known and she would have stayed in jail and never gotten to be DJ's mom. Wow. He, like, is her little angel. Yeah. So Patty, in that way, beat the odds. She got absolved of Ryan's death. Unfortunately, DJ did not beat the odds, and he passed away in September 17th, 2013, at the age of 23 years old, because this is just a really challenging disease to be born with. Oh, that's so harsh. They lost two of their kids. Yeah. I'm really glad she got those 23 years with DJ. Um, Well, I guess 22, because really the first year of his life, she didn't get to spend with him. A lot of it anyway. And I just think it's such a crazy story because it's so heartbreaking. The idea that someone would wrongfully, mistakenly take your child away from you and to accuse a mother of hurting her child that isn't (laughs) i mean but the amount i mean listen totally i think the hospital though was when they found that they were behaving under their the information that they had of course i totally understand and i think it's really (sighs) important to protect kids out there we know that munchausen's by proxy is a real fucking thing we've seen really sad cases dealing with it and in this case it's just it feels like that's a really big decision and what I think disturbed me about it was those other doctors coming in and going, this is clearly wrong. And it didn't feel like it took them that long to figure out it was wrong. Totally. And the idea that DJ was born with that condition and they, that lawyer didn't say, we really have to bring this information to try. I mean, what was he fucking doing? Nothing is the answer. I also think too, is like as heartbreaking it was as, her husband not being able to see him. I'm so mm-hmm. like I also think that's helpful that he wasn't around any of his parents for their trial too. For like the reason you know what I mean to be like this child had no contact with either parent, and you, you it's like just to limit that exposure was probably more evidence to their support mm-hmm. of like this kid has the same. I don't know. I mean, I know it's heartbreaking and it's the first year of his life. My God, but. <laughs> Oh, that's horrible. Well, thank, but thank I mean, God. just thank God she got absolved because I know, but I'm she so deserves sad to DJ live died. the happiest life yeah. she can. Yeah. Uh, like to lose a child, I can't even imagine, but then also to be blamed for it. Ugh. I like that's too much. Yeah. And not to get to be like with him when he died and all it's, of that. That's horrifying. Horrifying. Horrified, and that it could have been prevented. Like if he had been diagnosed correctly by the hospital with MMA, they would have saved that baby's life. And they would have prevented DJ from ever even getting sick because they would have been like, we think our second kid might have. I don't know. It just makes me really sad. Um, But also, I'm really glad they figured it out. It's a little bit. um, Yeah. 
silver lining moment. Tiny silver lining. It's tarnished, um, but here it is. To end this episode, do you want to see me unveil my hair? Oh, yeah. Let's do it. Okay, hold on. Okay, so what I do, Quinn, I washed my hair last night. It had been a long time since I washed my hair. Mm-hmm. Okay, so this is a robe thing. Okay, so. <gasps> oh, my God. This is like magic gorgeous oh it's still wet i don't think i think it's gonna fall oh well Ugh. i don't no, know if it... it looks so pretty look at those it looks oh natural i think you're gonna look really pretty <laughs> when you grow up and there it is 